They, they, and the youth, the youth deal. What's that, Rick? See Stewart. If you don't know who Stewart is, he uh, mans the uh, information table out to the left. But men, you need to sign up. And the youth event is on Friday the 25th, not Saturday the 26th. That was what that was about. So, awesome. Okay, you guys ready? Ready for the word? All right, come on, let's come to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. Thank you that you are the teacher and you are teaching us all, opening up our minds and our hearts to think like God. And without you, we can't. So we welcome you and we thank you. We ask that you cause this identity revelation to go deep inside of all of us so we don't live uh, weirdly, but confidently and boldly because we know who we are and who you are. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Knowing who you are empowers you to do what you've been called to do by God. You know, we ask people, when you greet them, you say, one of the first things you say, as Mark mentioned a couple weeks ago, when you meet somebody at a party or something, or out here in the lobby, what's one of the first things you ask them? What do you do? Yeah. And that's not a bad question. Because what you do reveals a lot about who you are. What do you like doing? What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? This is what's called shape. You see this up on the, bowl, up on the over, overhead. The shape is your spiritual gifts, the S. What are your spiritual gifts? Your H is your heart. What is your heart? What do you love to do? The A is your abilities. What are you good at? P is your personality. Like, we're not going to put the grumpy people out front as the greeters to our church. Right? The, the grumpy people are the problem solver because they're always thinking about things to be done better. When I see somebody that's kind of critical, I think, oh, you might be a leader or you just might be a, a mean person. I don't know, but we're going to find out. If you're a leader and you're frustrated, that's great. We'll give you something to do so you can fix things and make them better. But you're certainly not going to be a greeter. And your experience is shapes you for who you are and how God's made you to be. So you look at certain things and you know what they're made for. I mean, what if Ava sat up here and said, you know what, I'm going to sing into this water bottle today when I'm leading worship. That's just dumb, isn't it? Because the water bottle's not made to be a microphone. Everything is shaped and made for a unique purpose. You have been made and shaped by God for a unique purpose. And it's so frustrating uh, when I see people, like let's say in the music industry, when I see people who you know have been anointed and called by God to be worship leaders in the kingdom of God, but they get disconnected from God or they run from their calling or they get lured into uh, the, the world system. I, I used to watch um, you know, shows with the kids and these young singers uh, on, on television and, you know, these child stars, and I say, uh, you know, they say, oh, Dad. I said, just watch this one right here. She's going to end up, when she becomes, you know, 16, 17 years old, she's going to get lured into the pipeline, into the world system. And sure enough, um, you know, Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, and her dad says the worst thing that ever happened in their life was her becoming a child star. I mean, he's a solid Christian guy, and... She was raised, but you get sucked into that world and you have to continually compromise more and more and more until you lose yourself. And I can't imagine how many tears he's cried, but I think about the calling and the kingdom of God, the most important thing in the earth 
is the bride of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has anointed every single believer with the Holy Spirit's supernatural giftings for a purpose. You're a member of an army. You're a member of a family. That's why every local church is like an outpost of the kingdom of God. This is our battalion. We're on the battlefield and everybody is necessary. And so you need to find out what your shape is so you can plug in. So today, on the backdrop of that, I want to talk to you about the relationship between your identity, knowing who you are in God, and how this produces security. And through that security, you are uberly successful. But if you're insecure, you don't know who you are, and you're going, eh, and you're getting all weird and getting your identity from other places and other faces and the wrong places and the wrong faces, and you're trying this and you're being pushed out of measure, there are a bit, your, your chances of being uber successful are very low. Or you're going to climb up the ladder and find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. That's why Satan comes to Jesus, and one of the temptations was, if you be the Son of God, everybody say, if. Yeah, see that? The enemy comes to Jesus, and his temptation is, if you are who you think you are, and then he tries to get him to do a magic trick, to prove that you're truly the Son of God. Turn this rock into bread, and he hit him at his weakest point, because he hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Jesus said, no. You shall live by, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word proceeding from the mouth of God. Jesus' identity and security and success was firmly and 100% rooted in God. That's why he was so successful in the earth. So I want us to learn from him today because there are many different pathways into success, but there are also many different definitions of success. And we do not want to have the wrong definition of success, and that's my big message for you today, is making sure that your definition of success is Jesus' definition of success. So once you see him face to face, you don't say, oh, shucks, my ladder was leaning up against the wrong wall. I climbed all the way to the top of it, and it was against the wrong wall. So, John chapter 13, this is... I think the most profound passage in the Bible on this topic that we're in right now in this identity series. John chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to read down through this uh, chapter here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now for Jesus to know that his hour had come, He must have known what he was called to do and how much time he had to accomplish it. Does that make sense to you? Jesus knew his hour had come, that his his race was coming to an end, that what God had called him to come to the earth to do was almost done. So he knew. He was not vague about God's will for his life or the timeline of what God had called him to do. Neither do you have to be vague. This is one one of the things that... That um, one of my biggest pet peeves in Christendom as a pastor is how many believers don't know what God's will is for their life. You, that may be you today. You do not need to be vague. God, God, you, I mean, what, what if a boss tells you to do your job, but does not tell you what your job is? That would make no sense. 
And if you get promotions based on how well you do your job, but you don't know, I mean, that's the number one thing that a boss must do is give a very clear job description to the employees. Make sure I do that with the people on my team. I want them to know exactly what it is I have asked them to step up to do, give them very clear parameters, and then I get behind them to resource them so that they are successful. What if I told my children, hey, if you want to be paid for your chores, you better do them. But dad, you haven't told us what chore I have. Hey, figure it out. That just is a complete disconnect. But that's the way many believers live. What is God's will for my life? You don't have to be vague. Look what Ephesians 5.17 says. And we're going to answer this, by the way, today. Therefore, do not be unwise. Say this out loud with me. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Clearly, God has not called us to do something that he's going to be vague about. And let's keep reading here. We'll, We'll define that as we go in a few minutes. Jesus knew his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. This understanding that Jesus had, that this world is not all there is. In fact, that he knew that this world was a very, very temporary place. But that there is also another place that his father lives. That eternal perspective is probably the most important perspective I've ever had in my personal walk with the Lord. Is what I call the eternal perspective. It uproots you from living just for this life, and you literally begin to live for seeing him face to face, living for the other side. That's how Jesus had such peace, such confidence that we're going to see in this passage. This understanding is the most important perspective you can have as you walk through this life for many reasons. But one is the fact that you know the other side is the most important. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I warn you as Look at this, temporary residents and foreigners. A child of God is a temporary resident and a foreigner in the earth. To keep away from all worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. One translation says that pollutes your soul. Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes to the Ephesians church, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, talking about heaven now. Peter was talking about you're not a citizen of the earth. But look what Paul says. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, outsiders without rights of citizenship in heaven. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, God's people, and are members of the household of God. Look what the Bible says about in the Faith Hall of Fame. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. Men and women who went before us, they ran their race, they're in heaven, the baton is now in your hand, in our hand. Now we are running our leg of the race. When you die and go to heaven, you pass it to the next generation and they run their race. So look what, uh, look what the writer Hebrews says about those who ran their race before us. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And they were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had opportunity to return, 
Well, wait a minute. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, which was Egypt, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for you too. You're going to be there one day. That's the city you and I are to be living for. It also says about Moses in the Faith Hall of Fame, by faith Moses, who by the way was going to be the next most powerful ruler in the world. Just let that sink in for a minute. You're the heir to the throne of the most powerful country on earth. It's yours. But Moses found out his true identity. And what? How that empowered him to have a complete change of trajectory. Amazing. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The son of the king. Choosing. Everybody say choosing. This is, say, come on, say choosing. This is what you have to do. It's what I have to do. It's what every believer has to do. We have to choose Rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, be made fun of at school, be made fun of at work, be made fun of on TV and the media, be called Jesus freaks, losers, weirdos, old-fashioned, whatever it is. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Look at what happens. Back to John chapter 13. We're actually going to go one chapter back, John 12. Look what happens when you and I have our eyes fixed on this earth only and what people think of us and needing people's approval, which we all do. But when you need it to the point where it causes you to make the choices you make and the trajectory of your life, you're in trouble. You back at the John 12, 43, and look what it says. For they, those people at that time, the Pharisees, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They could have had their destiny following Jesus. And being part of his kingdom. But they loved the praise of people more than the praise of God, so they missed their destiny. They missed Jesus. They missed God. These leaders of the religious world missed God because they cared more about the opinions of people than the opinion of God. Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Go ahead. Just tell them, say, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) he's talking to you i know it the bible says that they came to make jesus king profound passage it says but he did not submit himself to them because he knew what was in man what does that mean he knew that one day they're shouting hosanna hosanna a few days later crucify him crucify him jesus knew that people's opinions of you are going to change they're fickle up and down. One day you're the you're you're one day you're the, the the Jesus Jr. The next day you're the spawn of Satan. I mean, it just flips like that. Jesus would not submit himself to the opinion of man, but only the opinion of God. So let's keep reading. He knew he was 
uh, going to depart from this world to the Father, and having loved his own, were in the world, he loved them to the end. We'll look at that in a second. Supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Here's the mother load. Here's the whammy. Here's the big one right here. Verse 3, boom. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Oh, the questions of this series are, where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going after I die? Those four questions are the questions every philosopher has been asking ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. The search for significance. They're all answered in one verse right there. Jesus knowing he had come from God. How many of you know you came from God? Just raise your hand. I, you know you came from You didn't come from a monkey. You didn't come from slime. You didn't come from the most popular belief now among evolutionists is that we were seeded by aliens from another planet. True. Richard Dawkins even said that. Because when you ask them, well, the Big Bang, okay, where did, that, where, where did that come from? Well, it came from, okay, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from, okay, where did that come from? And now, now where they've landed is aliens from another planet seeded us. Because the origin of life is not answerable. It's so simple. Jesus, knowing he came from the Father. <laughs> Isn't that better than a monkey? Isn't it, isn't it better than aliens? Better than goop? Why do you think Ancestry.com is so doggone popular? Who am I? It's determined by who I came from. Multi-million dollar industry. Identity. Jesus, knowing he had come from the Father. And that he's going to the Father. Talk about a multi-billion dollar industry. It's fortune telling. Tarot cards. Ouija boards. Mediums. Multi-billion dollar industry. Why? Because God, the Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts. Deep down we know there's another realm. And so Hollywood makes billions of dollars off vampire movies and off, off you know, the, the, the Walking Dead and off of, you know, uh, mediums and all these, all these and horror movies and all this stuff comes out of, we know there's more. And Satan gets all the promotion when the supernatural belongs to the church. Jesus knew he was, when he died, he was going to the Father. Do you know you're going to God when you die? Do you know where you will go? The Bible says very clearly that you can know that if you give your life to the Son of God, he will forgive you of all your sins instantaneously. Then breathe his spirit into your soul right there while you're sitting in your chair, listening online, watching online. Right now, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, and you believe that, you shall be saved, the Bible says, from eternal separation from God. It's a gift. It's a supernatural encounter. 
You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift from God. And as soon as that happens, he breathes the spirit into you. You become a child of God. Everyone is God's creation, but everyone has the potential to become God's child. But that's only through the new birth, being born again spiritually, as Jesus put it. And that's only done by his spirit. And all you have to do is raise your hand and say, Jesus, I believe. I need my sins forgiven. I need to know I'm right with God. And you become a child of God in that instant. It's a miracle. I'll give an opportunity for those of you to do it today who are here right at the end of the service. But because Jesus, remember I told you I was telling you about identity, security, success? We talked about identity. Jesus knew he came from the Father, going to the Father. Because he had his identity so grounded and founded in God, he was able to do this next verse. Verse 4, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which with he was girded. We're going to keep reading. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, what's he talking about here? Jesus, the king, the rabbi, the master, was so secure in his identity in God who he was, where he came from, where is he going, and what his assignment is, he was able, with all of his disciples around the table, and they're all looking at him as the king, the leader, the boss, the president. Jesus takes his robe off, which was his identity. His, catch this, please. His outward identity. He took it off. And took a towel and put it around him, which was the lowest level slave in society. You see, at that time, they all wore sandals and walked through uh, dusty roads. So you get to somebody's house, your feet are all dirty. So the house servant, the lowest house servant, there were different levels of house servants. Some working in the kitchen, some working with the finances. But, some, but the lowest level, he's the one or she's the one who takes water and a towel and washes the feet of the guests so their feet are clean as they come into the house. Jesus takes off his presidential garment and puts on the towel of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? And he says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now because your paradigm of leadership is completely upside down. And he washes their feet. And he goes on to say this. Simon says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Of course, you know Peter. 
Verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. In other words, walking with Jesus cleanses you. But you're a little dirty as you go through your life, and you just need confession and a little washing of the Holy Spirit. You just stay clean on a daily basis. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken their garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew 20. Go to Matthew 20 for me real quick. And I want you to see Jesus taught this again in a different context. We have to remember this is Jesus the master of all, the leader, the most powerful, the most famous, the most authority, serving. Matthew chapter 20. And in this context, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, their mom tries to use her influence with Jesus to get her two sons to be able to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand in his political regime. And Jesus says, you're clueless. You have no idea what's going on here. And then he goes on to say this in verse 25. Jesus called to them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are exercised great authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. You know what? I did a different translation. I'm sorry. I'm going to read this out of the translation on my notes. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to his side and said, Kings and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others. Because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. In the kingdom of God, serving and success are the same thing. Boy, do I want you to grab a hold of that. Boy, do I want you to grab a hold of that. If you want to be successful in God's eyes, you need to serve those around you. Serving and sacrificing for others is the definition of success. But you can't do it if you live insecure. Because of our insecurities, we need to prop ourselves up. Be the most popular. Have the best social media presence. Accomplish the most goals. Win the most trophies and make sure everybody sees them. You see, as Jesus has taken his robe off, we're trying to put ours on. We need our titles. We need our public profile because of our insecurity. I remember when God raised me up as the top salesman in the nation for this company that he did a miracle in. I was so deeply insecure. Um, We were just destitute. And God blessed us and exalted us. And so I was just this 
guy who could, well, actually I couldn't sell anything because we weren't prospering. But God did this work and promoted us, and we were on a global stage, and I was the top salesman in the nation, but I was insecure. God exalted me, but it wasn't based on my skill set. It was based on His grace. And then, so then I managed three stores here in San Diego with a bunch of employees, and the three leaders that were right under me all had degrees in, in management and business. I was a music major. They knew that I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I was so insecure that I, my, one of my managers came to me once and she, you know, we were, the turnover was just, I was losing employees left and right because I was so insecure. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to motivate, didn't know how to lead. I went to my brother and he, he was uh, the owner of the business and we were partners, but he was the primary owner. And I said to him, you know what I need, Brad? <laughs> Boy, sometimes your insecurities just are out there for everybody to see, aren't they? I said, I want you to put my Salesman of the Year trophies up on the shelf in the store so everybody can see them. Because in my mind, if they saw my trophies, then they would respect me and obey me. And my brother just kind of did this. And he said, you know, I know what you're, try- I know what you're reaching for, John, but it's just, it's, that's just not the way to get it. And then he said this to me. You act like a drowning man, but you're not drowning. That's what insecurity feels like on the inside. You're afraid. You're afraid people are going to abandon you. You're afraid people are going to reject you. You're afraid of people's criticism, people's opinion. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. But they that trust in the Lord will be set on high. And through a process of the Lord, well, really what the process was, was I realized for me it was father issues. I had deep father issues. My dad was an alcoholic, and, you know, for those of you who had an alcoholic parent, you understand that it's a very unpredictable environment. And uh, they're there, they're not there. When they are there, they're abusive, or they're, they're somewhere else. When you're driving in the car, they're somewhere. They're not with you. And when you give yourself to an addiction, the, when you were addicted to it is when you stop growing emotionally. And so when you get off of that drug... As an adult, you actually are still operating as a, at whatever age you got addicted, was, it stunted your emotional growth. You didn't develop the character, the tenacity, the inward ability to face trials in life with grit and determination on the inside and with God, humility, dependency on God and being able to walk with the Father, knowing who you are. It's all substituted by drugs or some kind of, some kind of uh, substitution to relationship with the Father, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and developing the character that James says, count it all joy when you run into. But you can be healed. You can be delivered. You can be brand, made brand new. For those of you in here right now who are struggling with that, you can be, God will restore to you the years that the canker worm has eaten, the Bible promises. And in fact, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God's strength will be made perfect in your weakness. You will be better than you were if you will just come to God and fall on your knees, fall on your face before and say, Oh, God, 
I need your help. Man, he'll start restoring you and do something so beautiful. The Bible says he, he takes your ashes and turns them into something beautiful. Gives beauty for ashes. So I went to God and I said, I need to know your love. And it was, it was pursuing a revelation of the love of the Father for me. I pursued it. I had to fight for it because of all the brokenness on the inside. And when I broke through, I remember having a watershed moment where I knew that the Father loved me so much. I was then able to initiate a relationship with my dad. One year, I didn't get him a Christmas present, and he acted like it didn't bother him or that he didn't even notice, but I know it did. And I asked him if I could spend the day after Christmas with him. And so I went to his house. I said, Dad, I did get you a Christmas present. And he said, oh, well, you know, whatever. And I said, it's me. He said, what? I said, yeah, it's time we had a relationship. I was about 24, 25. He said, well, it's going to take a lot of work. I said, I know. Give me the keys to the car. He just bought a brand new Mercedes. He was a very, very wealthy man. I said, let me have the keys to the car because we had to go to the mall. And he said, what? And I said, I'm going to drive the Mercedes, man. That's a nice ride. Come on. And he goes, oh, be careful. Okay. And so he gets in the car. We're driving to the mall. And I said, why did you and mom get divorced? What happened there? You see, when you find your identity in God, you have, it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, that person's well balanced. They have a chip on both shoulders, right? The, the, the chips go... I don't need anybody. You need people more than anybody else. You're proving it by the way you're saying that. You see, when, the, when you get healed and you find your identity in God, this peace, this confidence, this security comes in, and you can start having these kind of, you can be more assertive in your relationships. And, and so, uh, and then you have the confidence to serve. And not be served. Because it's not about people thinking you're amazing. It's about loving people. Loving God, loving yourself, and loving others. That's what life becomes all about. And you look for ways to serve. Find your spouse's love language and knock it out of the park. Encourage your kids because they're screwing up and they know it. And they feel bad about themselves. Find the things they're doing right and tell them. Encourage them. Breathe life into them. Ask your leaders at your church. What needs to be done? I'm here to serve. Walk into situations, not asking you a question, what can I get out of this, but what can I give to this? Be the best employee your boss has ever seen. Show up early, leave late, work hard, do more than's asked for you. Be fair to your employees. There's all sorts of ways that you and I can be servants. And that's our calling. Find your identity in God. That's where you'll find your security. And then you'll be able to take off your title and just begin to serve people. And that will gain you rewards in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word today. In Jesus' name, that's all I've got.
<laughs> Amen.